This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Good evening and welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11 himself. Andrew, good evening. Good evening, sir. How's it going? Good. I should mention that I'm also currently in the middle of a uh, fantasy football draft as we record this. So I'm going to be enlisting your help here and, and we'll, uh, my listeners will have to bear with us as we talk about my upcoming picks. This is a work league I'm in. So far, I've gotten Stefan Diggs and Derek Henry, and, and I'm at the 10th pick. We're coming up on end of round two now and about to get to the turn to round three. So I got about 10 more picks until I'm back on the clock. Sounds good. You don't mind helping, do you? I mean, I don't know how much help I can be, but I'll do what I can. I'm uh, more of a college guy, but I know a little bit about the NFL. Yeah, I I just follow the... Follow the the fantasy football stats. I don't even watch NFL games because I'm also, more of a college guy. Disclaimer too, but... to anybody who saw me tweeting out my bets: uh, if you lose money, do not tell me because I will have lost <laughs> money too. So I'll be double sad, and I don't need to be double sad. Being sad is enough for me. Yeah, you you bet at your own risk. Mm-hmm. Everyone bets at their own risk. No one else is responsible. Okay, let's uh, let's do this. So good week for Oregon. In addition to the eighty-one to seven victory over Portland State, they also picked up a, a new commit this week. First one in a while. Um, kind of was trending toward Oregon the last few weeks, but linebacker Braden Platt joins the Ducks. He's a top two hundred level player out of the state of Washington, and um, you know, joins Kamara Matuti and Dylan. Williams as the linebackers in this class, which was a position we we've talked about all along of a real need for in the 2024 class. So can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on Braden Platt joining this class? Yeah, I really like Braden Platt. I think that from the, from the onset, the idea was, well, hopefully you can get all four of Dylan Williams, Justin Williams, Kamar Matuti and, and Braden Platt. And obviously when Justin Williams going to Georgia to get three of the four is still like a really, really good shout. I mean, Considering the schools that you were competing with, beating Brett Venables and, and Oklahoma uh, for a linebacker that they really wanted, I think is never going to be a bad thing considering their history. And so uh, overall, I think this is an excellent pickup. And I think that the numbers work well for the Ducks. And clearly, even after watching the Portland State game and kind of revisiting that film, I think linebacker is a, is a position on the team that probably still has the most room to go in terms of upgrading the talent uh, through prep recruiting. And so adding another really talented linebacker uh, to to complement the other two guys that you already have in the class, I think is is 
very good for the long-term health of the front seven. Yeah, this uh, commitment moves Oregon past Oklahoma into 11th uh, for the 2024 class, although it is, as I've said repeatedly, when you look at the actual rankings, it's pretty interesting because, like, to me, like, 8 through eight through 13, 8 through 14 are basically all the same class. Uh, the only different, you know, the averages are very similar. The kind of blue chip race breakdown is very similar. The score is very similar. It just comes down to mostly how many commits are in the class or whatever. So Oregon's in a really strong position there. Uh, at 11th going into this, you know, as we're into the season now, and there's still a few big fish out there for Oregon. I don't expect to hear a whole lot on the recruiting trail probably for a while now. We've got a visit. Uh, Ducks got a visit announced today from the, the edge player. They're really excited about Solomon Williams. So he'll be coming out to visit for the Colorado game, I believe. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to watch that and follow recruiting, obviously, over on Scoop Duck. But um, we'll see more commits probably later in the cycle as we get toward this early signing day in December. Yeah, do you want me to talk at all about Platt's skill set, or are we just going to roll? No, go for it. Okay, yeah, I just didn't know what we were doing with that. So um, I really like Platt. Um, big kid, 6'2", maybe a little bit of hair over 6'2", 240 pounds, like legit, really put together. Uh, I've seen some people make the argument that he's topped out physically. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, fit, like frame-wise, he's probably not going to get a lot bigger. I don't know that you want him to get bigger, right? Like you just want him to maximize his speed, athleticism, and body control and i think that when you look at a guy who's a national level like top 10 thrower in three different events that you're you're going to see a lot of body control and explosive coordination and so with with platt that shows up throughout his film whether it's at running back or at linebacker um his short area quickness his body control and his, his ability to create explosive power quickly and instantly is what makes him so impressive to me um and so I think that he's more, I wouldn't say he's a box player because I think he runs really well. I mean, he ran an 11 flat last year. I'd expect that he improves on that time this year. But I don't think that like sideline to sideline speed's an issue for, for Platt. Um, I think he's a player that could probably come in and compete for some snaps right away. I think that physically he's he's probably more, the most ready to go um, of, of any of the guys that we have in the class so far. So uh, really excited to see kind of what that looks like for him. Um, when he shows up, I believe he's an early a January enrollee as well. Yeah, he's also a track kid, right? He's a thrower. Uh, I think he said a high school, or he had the the top high school javelin throw last year. Yeah, uh, he was top ten in the hammer and the discus as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think definitely the. Um, oh, hey, we're on the board. Running back or wide receiver? I got one of each so far. Uh, Our choices here are Chris Olave, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, I think you DK can get, Metcalf. I think there's other good receivers that you're going to be able to get value if I'd go Mixon. I was thinking the same. Okay, Joe Mixon comes off the board for my third pick. Thank you. Back to Platt. So I think, you know, the track team, I know the coaches down there are really excited about the potential of having him. He actually was out at Autzen like all summer or various meets and junior meets throwing and getting familiar with the, the facilities there. And, and I think that's a big opportunity for him to – to dual sport. And I think it can't be understated enough um, how supportive Dan is uh, and how close he's working with the track program and not just on a guy like Braden Platt, but, you know, we saw that with David, uh, sorry, uh, Roderick Pleasant as well as another one that's going to be. And uh, Nicholas Harbor was another one that they Nicholas Harbor was the one that they would have supported, of course. Yeah. So I think that, that um, that's kind of a renewed uh, cross sport, collaboration i guess if you will that was was pretty big for oregon in the kind of the chip kelly days and during that era and really i don't think was supported nearly as much um 
you know, over the last five, six, seven years. And, and it seems like Dan is really willing to, to work with athletes and the coaches in the track program and really partner with them and collaborate with them actively on making this happen when and where it makes sense. Yeah. I think that that's also just a factor. They want to get faster. Right. And so when you're recruiting really, really elite fast athletes, some of them are going to want to run track too. And when you can, it helps you sell when you could double sell the the track program that exists in Eugene and, and Hayward field and all the facilities and everything that goes with that. So and now elite track coaching as well. I mean, the new coach is fantastic uh, world renowned guy. So um, but yeah, like track stuff aside, I think that like the way that that translates to the football, you talk, look at a lot of the guys that have been at Iowa over the years. Um, Iowa has made a killing with offensive and defensive linemen who were past throwers. And the reason is because they have just, really great explosiveness and, and body control typically. Um, and, and that shows up all over Platt's film. The cool thing is, is he's not a 300 pound guy as a thrower. He's 240 pounds. Um, and so he's actually twitchy and fast despite being that size um, and being a thrower. So really, really impressed with his film. Um, excited to get him in. I think between him, Matuti and, and Dylan Williams, I think you're going to get some good players out of that group. All right, I'm back on the clock. Uh, we've got a running back and two receivers so far. I'm, I'm kind of thinking running back here. Oh, I'm sorry, the other way around. Two, you, two running backs and receiver. You kind of go both and grab Debo Samuel there. I was kind of thinking Debo or Amari Cooper. You like Debo. I like Debo more than Cooper personally. but And he does pick up some rushing at. Yeah, all right, I'm taking Debo. And in the short yardage, like up in the red zone, they, they'll give him the ball to the backfield. More yeah, touchdown sniping some rushing touchdowns is never a bad thing. Nope. All right. Uh, I think that covers it on Platt and the commitment, right? Yeah. All right. So Ducks this weekend will be traveling down to Lubbock on the 100-degree heat to take on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I think it's a 5 o'clock Portland time kick, or is it 4 o'clock? I believe it's uh, – hold on one second. Uh, this is great podcasting by us here. Yeah. Yeah, fantasy Any, draft. Don't know what time the game is. We're all over the place. So it's a seven o'clock local kick, right there. Yeah, so I'd make it five o'clock. Yeah, it's five. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking. Right. It says it'll be 93 degrees at seven o'clock in Lubbock, but it'll it's gonna cool off pretty starkly throughout the rest of the game. So at kick it'll be 93, but the sun will be down or at least setting, right? So there will be uh, yeah, it'll cool I don't really quite think... a bit. I don't really think the heat's going to be like a lot of people have been making talk about that this week and even for the last couple of weeks. And like you said, with that later kick time and the sun going down, I just I don't think it's going to be. It's also uh, not going to be a significant humid, factor. Right? In this it's game. a dry heat yeah. in the shade. Yeah. So like dry heat in the shade is not again. Maybe it's because I'm used to it living in Arizona, but um, like this is not going to be that bad for our guys. To be honest with you, I think there's been a lot of made of this. If it was like if it was 90 degrees and 60% humidity, I would very much feel differently about this. But with the dry heat, um, I know it's been mentioned that it's elevation, but it's only like 3,000 feet. So. Don't go there. I've been arguing with people about elevation for all week on this one. Anyway, oh, really? Texas Tech played. Yeah, because I, I just 3,000 feet think... is nothing. Yeah, I just, that's that's my point of view. Is like this hasn't been. Like nobody talk. I've never heard before this week. I've never in my life heard anyone talk about the three thousand foot elevation being like a significant factor in a game. I've never heard that before. And then uh, someone, someone in the argument brought up some statistics or something. And really, the 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 real the beginning of where elevation even starts to make an impact is at the 
the 3000 foot mark. So it's, it's, it's insignificant amount. Gotcha. All right. Texas tech. They went on the road last week to Wyoming where there is real elevation, the highest football stadium in the country, 7,200 square feet. And that'll do something kind of got their butt handed to them. I mean, it was a close game, went to overtime 35, 33, but uh, Texas tech jumped out to a quick 17, nothing lead in the first quarter. And then really just, struggled from there on and Wyoming quite honestly I, I watched this game live and Wyoming quite honestly dominated the, the the last three quarters of that game physically on both sides of the line of scrimmage and both sides of the ball and they just they just seemed like a better team on the field for those three quarters uh Texas Tech did get a late field goal to force overtime uh, before losing in double overtime on the walk-off two-point conversion uh, by Wyoming so you know do you, do you see that as an impact on this game or how do you see their their performance in in, uh, well, I don't think that the performance that we saw against Wyoming is anywhere near what they're going to give us. Like, this is a home game. I'm sure they're embarrassed about what happened. I'm sure they're fired up and ready to go. Um, and this is the biggest home non-conference game that they've had in like 30 years. So I, I, I fully anticipate that Texas Tech will be dialed in and ready to play, uh, maybe in a way that they weren't against Wyoming. But it's one of those things where they kind of jumped all over Wyoming, Wyoming earlier. It was it was seventeen to zero at the end of the first quarter, um, and then just over the course of the game, things just kind of slipped away from them. Uh, took a last minute field goal to send the game to overtime, and then uh, two overtimes later, Wyoming managed to convert a uh, two point conversion that Texas could, Texas that couldn't. So when you look at when you look at that game from a statistical profile, it's not like t- like Tech outgained outgained Wyoming, um, Tech was much more effective throwing the ball as you would expect, right? Like Wyoming doesn't have the athletes that receive really at the skill position play uh, spots at all. The other thing that is kind of interesting about this is like Wyoming's best front players on both sides of the ball transferred out this year. One's at Oregon state uh, on defense, the edge player, and then one's at, at USC Prague on the, uh, the guard. And so for them to just show up and just kind of play bully ball and, and run the ball, not necessarily with any explosiveness, but on a, on a efficiency basis, like four yards a carry on 44 carries. Again, it's not, it's not moving you up and down the field at any extraordinary pace, but that is an efficient run game for a team like Wyoming that doesn't have the threat of going vertical. Um, And watching that to me, it was just like, what does this look like when it's Oregon's offensive line, which is more talented and Oregon skill players, which are way more talented with a, with, with an offense that can actually throw the ball, change paces and isn't going to be locked into this, like slug it out long game where they're just exchanging punches for four quarters. Um, Cause Oregon can kind of be whatever they want to be offensively at any point, just due to the fact that they have so much personnel and such quality personnel as a different position spot. So I don't know. I, I, I think Texas tech is going to give Oregon a much better game than they gave Wyoming. Just, I think the effort will be there. I think the home environment will be a big piece of that. Um, I've heard really good things about Jones or uh, about AT&T stadium down there in Lubbock. Um, they're unveiling their new light show uh, with the LED lights that they installed this off season. First home game of the season. I, I think that we're going to get a much better effort out of the out of uh, the Red Raiders than than what uh, Craig Bull's Wyoming team saw last Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's where I'd caution. You know, I've heard some other people saying like, "Oh, well, if if we let them score more than twenty on us, then that's a bad sign because Wyoming held them to 20 and it's like transitive you know, property like, guys, is like you can't, you can't do that. Every game, every week is a different, it's a different animal and you can't, uh, you can't look at it that way. Right. 
no, I I think the transitive property is always dumb in in football because football is a small sample size game, and so and you're also dealing with eighteen to twenty two year olds, and I don't know how many times we have to say it on this pod, but you don't get the same effort, you don't get the same execution, you don't get the same focus on a week-to-week basis. As much as every coach in the country would love to say their team shows up and plays the same every week, that's just not the truth. Like, There's going to be variance in how well you play on a weekly basis. We saw that when Missouri almost beat Georgia last year. And then what happens when Georgia's tuned up for games? They stomp the crap out of people. So um, just using that as, a, as an example. So I, I don't read too much into that. I, I think Obviously, you'd prefer to keep them under 20 points. I think that'd be a really strong defensive showing. Um, we, but we can jump more into that matchup and, and the other matchups in this game if you'd like. Yeah, real quick, I picked up another running back, Cam Akers, while we were talking, and I, my next pick's coming around. I've got three running backs, two receivers, and then I've got a pick and then a long time to wait. Do I go quarterback here or maybe pick up another receiver? What do you think? Uh... I don't see any of the quarterbacks that would justify a pick here. So I'd probably go receiver. And I'm looking at Christian Watson as a Packer Christian fan Watson. right there. Oh, you like one him? Down. Yeah, yeah I he's, see a, he's okay. a touchdown maker. He's a big play guy. Okay. Um, if he's there, I'm taking him. Two picks. Sounds good. If not, Jahan Dotson uh, for the commanders, uh, former Penn State receiver is a good shout or Mike Williams, yeah. Justin Herbert's main target is a good one too. Yeah, yeah I don't think I've can... had him in the past. He's kind of a, a like boomer bust every game. Like he'll either go off or a ton. Well, Christian Watson like will be that too. But like he had multi, he had several multiple touchdown games last year with like major production. So I, I again, if Christian Watson's there, I would grab him. What do you think about DeAndre Hopkins? He's still on the board too. Eh. Uh, Watson is available. I'm grab taking him. your guy. Trust me on this. I am. I did. He's picked. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, back to the game. So let's talk a little bit about uh, when Oregon's on offense. Did you see what did you see out of the Wyoming D or not the Wyoming defense? What did you see out of the the Texas Tech defense that either looks ripe for the the picking from Oregon standpoint or that you know maybe might give Oregon a little bit of trouble on, on that well side just of going off the wyoming tape there's not a lot to really like evaluate their secondary off of right like i feel like they're a pretty unknown commodity wyoming just doesn't have athletes on the outside they and their quarterback he's, he's a decent passer but he's not anything approaching bo nicks level um and again the weapons just aren't there so that's not who they are um and so i i don't have a real strong read on the defensive backfield for for tech uh, although there was several moments where Wyoming receivers were getting separation that, that the Wyoming quarterback wasn't able to capitalize on. So that's something to monitor. Um, I think that Tech is really good, like not not elite, but I think they're good up the middle of the defense uh, defensive tackle. I think they're pretty strong. Linebacker, if they were healthy, I'd say is a pretty solid group, but they actually lost their best linebacker last week. 
Um, the other guy is a little dinged up. And the guys that played late in the Wyoming game were very underwhelming to me. They uh, very often found themselves uh, without losing gap integrity, losing gap discipline, not leveraging the ball properly, overrunning plays. Um, and to me, like if you're doing that against Wyoming, again, I'm not saying this to disparage Wyoming. They're a really well-coached club, but Oregon's just a lot more talented. Like what is what, what Bucky Irving is going to do to you if you overrun a play is very different than what the Wyoming running backs are going to do if you overrun a play. Um, I, I know that Wyoming found a lot of success using quarterback run. Uh, they There was not a lot of uh, pass rush, uh, gap discipline, lane discipline by, by the tech defense. I know that's something that Tim DeRuiter pointed out uh, in his weekly press conference over there in Lubbock. Uh, I would assume that they'll work on that. They've got some really good athletes on the edge, um, but a, a little bit unproven to this point. So it, it, to me, like the, the, the secondary is largely an unknown. I'm, I'm pretty impressed by their interior defensive linemen. Um, their edge players, they have some athleticism and some upside, but it's not a group that has a lot of production to stand on. And frankly, they're a little small. Um, and so I, I think this is a team that Oregon can really kind of do whatever it wants to offensively. Like the way that Oregon's equipped. Yeah. Like whatever Stein sees and likes, like if he, if he, if he likes those matchups on the outside, like ultimately I think that knowing Tim DeRuiter, they're going to sit back, they're going to play zone. They're probably not going to blitz nearly as much as they blitzed against, against Texas tech. Um, and they are going to play too high a shell, which to me just means we're just going to run an RPO them to, to death. Um, and I don't know that I don't think that they could stop us um, without bringing an additional player down into the box. Um, and even then, I'm not sure. And I think that we're going to be able to put some pretty fresh linebackers in conflict with the RPO game. So um, those are the, some things offensively that I'd look out for. I think that there's some, there's going to be opportunities for explosive plays in the passing game just based on the way that guys were separating for Wyoming. Uh, but we won't know until we get to, to game time on Saturday. Yeah, I kind of look at it the same way. I, I mean, they certainly seem very susceptible to the run, and our run game is really strong, especially, like you said, with their linebacker uh, who's going to be out this week or for several weeks after getting injured against Wyoming. So I, I look at like – but I also I, – I mean, they just look, it just looks like a bad matchup on paper on that side of the ball. And it, it, it's hard for me to see them really stopping Oregon on with any kind of regularity or consistency throughout the game. And it, it feels like one of those games where Oregon's going to get to 40 or close to 40. And so it really is going to come down to the other side of the ball, uh, whether we have a game or, or not a game. Yeah. Again, like I think that Texas tech has some pretty decent talent and, and I think they've got some solid guys in the back half um, specifically at corner, but this, there's just so many mismatches and there's so much more explosiveness at the receiver position for Oregon than anything that they've seen to obviously because Wyoming is their only opponent that they've played. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I just know last year they were pretty prone to giving up explosives through the air and that the interior defensive line is pretty solid. Um, I, I'm trying not to be arrogant. I, I think that this is a game where Oregon should score 40 points. Yeah, I, I that's what I just said. I I it feels like you know, it feels like that's just I, I don't no see how work. outside of stopping yourself, right, or beating yourself with with you know, ill-timed penalties, turnovers, you know, just assignment mistakes, you know, repeatedly. It, and that's what they like, want to do. Like that's yeah. what Tim DeRuiter's defense does, right? Like they're going to sit back, they're going to play zone, they're going to play drop and they're going to make bow nicks. 
make good decisions, but I don't think that they have the capability to do that and keep keep us behind the chains in the run game. Right? So if Oregon can establish the run early, I, I don't I don't see Texas Tech being able to dictate anything and I don't see them being able to put us in a position where Bo's really at risk of making a mistake. And I also think he's just improved and the receiving re- receiver room is better. Um, and there's some matchups that we can exploit. Like I don't, there's nobody on this team that can cover Troy Franklin. I can tell you that much. Um, right. And I, I really don't see them just sitting on our run game. Um, there's, there's really not a matchup that I see that favors tech. Like again, maybe if like the guard play is sketchy early on, or maybe if, uh, they try to dial it up. I mean, like they blitzed a lot for a Tim DeRuiter defense is like the most I've ever seen a blitz against Wyoming. Um, maybe they try to dial up pressure to confuse a, a newer center calling protections, but I'm sure Bo is at least collaborating with the center on protection calls. And there's nothing that they're going to be able to show him that he hasn't seen. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But ultimately I really, I like this matchup for the Oregon offense and I'm probably going to like a lot of matchups for the Oregon offense throughout the season. You want to flip over to the other side of the ball now? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so, you know, Texas team, you know, definitely wants to throw the ball a lot with Tyler Shuck. And I thought, you know, he threw for 338 yards and three touchdowns last week. Uh, not the highest percentage, did have an interception. And, and honestly, he looked pretty harried in the second half at times during that game. In fact, I kind of thought there was a point late in the game and even in the, the part of the overtime where it felt like, their offensive coordinator didn't trust him to draw back. And they, who they were called, they must've called like three or four, just quarterback draws in a row. Well, uh, here's a, here's a great stat from Parker Fleming of stats of war. Tyler Shuck had a clean pocket on 80% of dropbacks last night, 51.3 grade, 6.8 turnover worthy play rate. So what that means is that there were a lot of times that he was putting the ball in harm's way. And frankly, me doing my own rewatch and watching the game, like I was just getting, flashbacks i was having like ptsd of the tyler shuck at oregon where like he has a clean pocket he has time and because he has time he's locked on and he's just forcing the ball um and putting it in harm's way like wyoming very easily could have had at least one other interception but probably three or four um and one of them could have been a pick six really easy like late on a comeback balls left inside uh, but then he also has really yeah. nice throws it's just i i think that he just kind of has a jekyll and hyde um presence to him at the quarterback position and i'm i don't really trust him to be consistent and make good decisions and in, in pressure situations and i think that that's kind of what we saw from tech's play caller um kitley down the stretch yeah and it feels like if oregon can get him into some pressure situations or getting him feeling uncomfortable or, or off script a little bit i felt like he was really good on script at the beginning of the game and then after that it kind of started falling apart a little bit so i think if if Oregon can make him get him in his own head, right. And some of that could be just the matchup and the, and the big game environment and everything else. But obviously it's also going to take Oregon making some plays in the game. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, I need a quarterback. QB. Deshaun Watson, Daniel Jones, Tua, Tagio, Tua, or Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a great year, but they're, I would probably go. I'd go Tua or Aaron Rodgers. You can make that call. I've had Tua in every other league this year. So I mean, the thing is that Tua Tua has got so much speed to throw to, whether it's Waddle or Hill. Like, there's a lot of big plays and touchdowns that come with that. So I would probably lean Tua. I have three leagues. I've got Tua in all three leagues. So there we go. 
There you go. All right, back to back to Shaka and the Texas Tech offense. Like um, when I watch the know, Texas Tech offense, like during the offseason, I know that Hithliday and I have had conversations about this. Like their their tackles are bad. Now, Wyoming was unable to take advantage of that, and I don't know that that's really in their DNA either to really like try to outnumber or or, or bring a lot of pressure. Um, and I think that Oregon will. Um, and I do think that we have guys that can just win on the edge in one-on-one matchups. And I think this is a really good example of like Oregon having an opportunity to just kind of show me, right? Like, is the pass rush better? Is the edge rush better? Um, because I think that we're going to have lots of really good opportunities at one-on-ones and we're going to have those against longer developing plays where Chuck is going to sit in the pocket a little bit. So, um, my concern is more so how do the linebackers play? Um, the Texas Tech really struggled to run the ball, but like how do they leverage the quarterback and quarterback run? Because Shuck is a deceptively fast guy. He's a pretty good athlete. Um, and I want to make sure that like they don't allow him to impact the game with his legs. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Running-wise, he, he ran 15 times for 36 yards, which is not a great average, and some of those are going to be sacks, right? But he he can make plays in the running game with his legs. And I think he converted it, it seems some key, like... He converted some key situations with his legs. Like He's not a... He's not Anthony Richardson, right? Like you're not building a game plan around his legs, but he can't hurt you. Um, and so just seeing us play with good gap discipline, eyes, uh, good surf technique, not not getting too far upfield, not uh, turning our shoulders and, and letting him sneak out and get make create big plays with his legs will be important. Uh, and then I, I think Texas Tech, I think their strength offensively is the receiver room. I think they have a really good receiver room. Um, and that's going to be a good test for our kind of new new look defensive backfield. I'd expect Evan Williams to be back this week um, based on the reports coming out of, of the program. And so with that being the case, we're going to get a really good first look at how we can match up with a pretty explosive receiver room. Yeah, I think you make a great point because obviously Oregon, as we get into the conference season, you're going to have to play teams like Colorado and Washington and USC who – you know, and some others who are really going to test you in the passing game, particularly USC and Washington, right? And and you're not going to stop them. But how effectively, how much more effectively is Oregon going to be able to to slow down teams in the passing game this year? You know, compared to last year, I think ultimately is a is one of the huge keys to this season, right? So it is a good test of that because, yeah, like you said, they they have really talented receivers out there, and I think you know they're going to obviously try to get them the ball. Um, where do you see like where do you see where, what opportunities are you looking for for Oregon here to really make a difference defensively? Like, I mean, obviously, I'm going to continue to watch linebackers. Um, I think that's a key position for Oregon. I feel a lot better about our safety play, especially if Evan Williams or when Evan Williams returns to whether that's this game or, or in the future. Um, I feel like we have a good four corner rotation. Is it great? I don't know, but it's good. Uh, but the linebackers to me are where I need where I still have questions and, and want to see more this year. Yeah. Uh, I don't find myself disagreeing with that at all. I, I think that this is going to be an opportunity for the cornerback room to show that they've improved. I think structurally, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Oregon's going to run with three corners, not with a third safety against tech. I think it just makes more sense. They brought in Dre McCray, uh, a pretty explosive. He's not, doesn't change directions particularly well, but if you get him in a straight line, he can run. And I think that, matching a Nico Reed on him uh, will be a much better outcome for Oregon than trying to have a safety stick with that, especially on if, if we're going to be trying to have him carry vertical. Um, so like structurally, I think, cause we were so vanilla last week, we'll get our first look at kind of how Oregon in, intends to defend 
the more wide open 11 personnel based offenses that we're going to see quite a few of this year. Yeah. One of our listeners t- sent us a question today. I just kind of want to touch on this. It was basically asking if he, he thought it would be a good idea to put a spy on Shuck because of his running ability. And I have my answer to that, but I'm curious what you think. I think that there will be times when they do. I, I don't think it's something where I would have it on every play. Cause I think that like with the sim, whether it's simulated pressure or just our normal, like, if it really depends on what kind of coverages you're playing. I this is true in football at all levels across the board. Like you don't, I don't think anyone always has a spy on every play, right? So um, it's going to depend if Oregon's bringing pressure, what kind of coverage we're playing. I think at times situationally they absolutely will. Like especially if you're in third and medium situations where it's not four down, I think it's really important too because. The dropback is one thing. If you're playing man coverage, you cover it good, and then they break contain. You got to have somebody ready to to uh, close that down and make sure he doesn't get the first. So, I think situationally, Oregon absolutely will have a spy, but I don't think it'll be all the time. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I don't. I I also looked at the way they ran Shuck was less less. It was kind of more either design quarterback draws or or just a scramble situation and. Now, obviously, the second one would be where you'd use a spy and not the first one, but I don't I don't really see that as um, something I would lean heavily on. And, like, in all of that, whether it's the lateral passing game, like the screens, the quarterback draw, the draw game, all, all that's designed to do is punish you for getting penetration and, and, and try to slow down your rush, right? And, and that's what you do to teams that you feel like are going to beat you off the edge. Yeah, you try to punish them for that, right? Like, Get, let those guys get way upfield and then try to sneak something in underneath them. But um, I anticipate with the with the the experience that exists in the front seven for Oregon um, that those defensive tackles are going to be able to read screen and draw and, and play the run in the pass at the same time. Yeah, that makes like sense. I know a lot of Texas Tech fans have been saying like, "Oh, Oregon's defensive front's not as good as Wyoming's." Like, you guys are in for a very 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 rude awakening uh, if that's your expectation. Yeah, I I don't know where they're they're getting that information. Play the run on the way to the quarterback. I like it. Uh, certainly would love to see. You know, I think a lot was made out of not getting any sacks last week. I think we covered why that is. I'm less concerned about like stats or that that production versus what was the pressure rate look like? And I think there was a lot of pressure and obviously Portland state didn't give us a lot of opportunities to, to generate sacks in that game. But I, I mean, this is a game where you would like to see Chuck on the ground a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, he was sacked three times by Wyoming. So there's your, in a game where they ran, um, sorry, I'm going to give you a play count here. I should have had this already. Yeah. Chuck had 47 pass attempts. So, and they I mean, ran 50. it 33 times. So yeah. yes, 80 plays. Yeah, so in 80 plays, right? So with that in mind, I think Oregon should absolutely have a couple sacks in this game. And really, I think sacks are going to be important. Like if Oregon wants to separate and like cover this and, and win this game, cover the spread and really make a statement, they're going to have to put Tech behind the chains, put them in some difficult situations. And I think being able to do that early in drives is going to be really, really important. I totally agree. Any other things you want to cover on the defensive side of the ball? No, no. I Again, like this game to me is pretty like – it feels a little BYU-y, and I think Tech is a lot better than BYU was last year, but I also think we're better than we were last year. And so it's one of those things where it's this is kind of the first time we'll 
we had Georgia last year, but that's a very different situation where we get to see what we really got. I think um, how we show up on the road, this is a veteran football team. We should know how to win on the road. We should show up and, and, and execute and play good business fo- like business like football where we're not shooting ourselves and undermining our, our own interests in the game. So um, I, this is a show-me game for Oregon. I need to see what we got. I feel like we're going to have a much better idea of what this team is when we talk on Sunday night than we do right now. I guess it is that time, so let's make our pick for that game. Uh, it's a six-and-a-half-point spread. I think it was around four-and-a-half, and then after last week's results, it jumped up and kind of really been stuck on six-and-a-half all week long. Which is Although interesting because 95% of the money that's in is on Oregon. Like yeah, This, is, this game is one of the largest liabilities for the books of the week. This in Colorado, so why, I believe. Why do you think that, that the spread hasn't moved forward more because of that? I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how those things work, but I, I hear other people who do talk about it from time to time, so it interests me. All right, so at six and a half, uh, I, I, I'm still on Oregon here. I, I think Oregon wins this one kind of handily, to be honest. I mean, I think it might be a close game in the first half. I mean, Tech's going to come out fired up backs against the wall. The crowd's going to be into they're it. They're going to come out swinging. Um, like they're going to, they're yeah. going to empty the clip. Like they are not going down without a fight and they're definitely going to have stuff schemed for us. Um, but the cool thing is, is I think we're going to see Oregon kind of start to unwrap some of its wrinkles on both sides of the ball in this game, right? Like this is where you start to use some things that you've actually prepped for during the summer where Portland state was very vanilla. Exactly. All right. So I got Oregon. You got you on Oregon minus. Oh, six yeah. And a half? yeah. I've got, I've got real money on this one. I got. I don't bet on Oregon often, but this is this number was too good for me not to take. Yeah, I feel pretty good about covering that. All right, so let's go to games around the country. I got five of those this week. Uh, I also should first mention that um, our standings after last week, Justin actually is in the lead. Uh, so you and I are both six and eight on the year. Uh, you are three and six in the Pac-12. I was four and five in the Pac-12. Justin was nine and three last week. Six and two in Pac-12 games. So he's got a sizable lead on us right now, but time to reel him back in. Good for him. Yeah, he had a good week. He picked all the Pac-12 teams, so he did well because of that. (laughs) All right, so Notre Dame and NC State. Notre Dame and NC State. Notre Dame's a seven and a half point road favorite in this one. Who do you like, QB? I didn't bet this game. Um, I don't have a great read on it. I think NC State is better. I think that matching up uh, the offensive coordinator and I with with, uh, Armstrong again is a good thing for them. So I'm going to take NC State to cover the 7.5, but I don't feel amazing about this. Okay, I'm the other way. I've got Notre Dame in this one. I I do think it's it's not one I would bet on uh, because I do think NC State – you know, potentially could keep this a little bit closer, keep it within one touchdown. But maybe I like Notre Dame getting a late score to, to go up by 10 or 11 or something like that and and holding this one. So I'm, I'm on uh, Notre Dame here, which brings us to several good games this week and week two. Um, Texas A&M travels to Miami in the return trip of their home-and-home home series that started last year. A&M is a four-point road favorite in this one against Mario Cristobal and company. And I'm going to ride with uh, I'm going to ride with the Aggies. I think Miami is a much improved team this year. I do think they're going to run the ball and, and, and try to take the air out of the ball and, and use their offensive line advantage there. But a- Texas A&M has a really strong defense. And I think that's going to play into their hands. I do think this will be a competitive game, potentially probably a fairly low-scoring game or in the you know 20s or low 30s at best. But I, I think ATM wins, or Texas A&M wins by, uh, by more than four, so I'm going with them. 
Yeah, I uh, I'm taking Texas A&M. This game boils down to a couple matchups for me. So Miami offensively, their offensive line is very good. Texas A&M has a great defensive front, like one of the best in the country. So it's strength on strength. Whereas A&M has a very like underrated, like elite receiver room, and I think a really good young quarterback. And I don't trust Miami at corner at all. So I'm going to take A&M with the four, uh, and I think I think they win by a touchdown. All right, the battle for Iowa. This is always a pretty raucous uh, environment down there, whether it's played in Iowa City or Ames. It's always uh, – I don't think they like each other very much down there. I don't know if it's the corn or something, but uh, Iowa goes on the road. They're a four-point favorite as well in at Iowa State. The over-under on this one, 36-and-a-half. And I oh. bet the under, baby. Yeah, you got to take the under on this one, right? Well, this game is historically a hideous rock fight, and so I'm just going to run with that and expect it to be one of those games where it's like 12 to 9 and everyone's kicking field goals. Although, Cade McNamara, I think, does add an element to this Iowa offense that it's been missing. Um, so I could see them winning by more, but I have to take Iowa State to cover here just on principle because I, I don't – I think this game is going to be really nasty and close. I, I get that Iowa State's a bad football team, I was. It doesn't matter in this one. It does. Like the, the this game specifically is always like that, and so I'm going to go ahead and take Iowa State plus the four. Yeah, I'm going the other way. I'm taking Iowa to to win on the road. I don't feel great about it at all, though. I and this is a game I would. Man, uh, it's one of it's a it's an underrated rivalry around the country. It's very very heated. I don't like either of these offenses particularly. Um, <laughs> Wait, who and, would? Come on! Yeah, but I'm not even an Iowa well, fan. I, can like either one of these offenses. I think Iowa they're well State coached, players. though. And like again, I could see this spread going either way. It's just I, I think it's going to be like a 14-10 game or something. It could push. Gotcha. I gotcha. All right, uh, that brings us to Texas at Alabama again. The return trip of a home and home. And the Crimson Tide are seven-point favorites in this one. I am riding Texas, not necessarily to win, but I do think this game will be close. I think it'll be it'll live up to the hype, live up to the billing. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth affair, and, and you know, I think you know whoever wins is going to win by you know a field goal or something like that. I've been so hyping. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, got, I was going to say. So I got Texas. I've been hyping up Texas all off-season, and I really thought I was going to like them to win this game, but. Quinn Ewers and those receivers were just not on the same page, and it was not pretty last week against Rice. Out turning it up to eleven, you're going to Bryant Denny to play an Alabama team that is, I think, like kind of being slept on, which is weird to say. Uh, this defense is ridiculous. They've got fantastic talent at all three levels. I think Alabama is going to be able to do some things in the run game. I think this is the best Alabama offensive line in a very long time. Like four or five years since they had those really elite groups. Um, I'm going to take Alabama. I, I think Alabama covers the seven at home. I think it's a huge win for Nick Saban early on. I think it kind of establishes what I think I knew coming into the season, but maybe what other people didn't is that I think Alabama is very clearly still the best team in the SEC West. Um, Jalen Milrow is very Jalen Hurtsy, except he's a better athlete, which is kind of crazy to say. Like He's just more explosive. Uh, but I don't know that he's nearly he's as good of a passer. So, like, what they can squeeze out of that Alabama passing game, I think, will dictate whether or not this covers or not. I like Alabama to win. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna roll with Nick Saban in the Tide. 
Yeah, I this is one where I a week ago I would have been all over Texas on this one. Now I'm like, eh, I don't know. I, I kind of saw some of the same things you did. Uh, I'm going with Texas, but uh, I was I very strongly considered changing my pick pick here as well. And I, I do agree with you. I think I think Alabama's winning the West. I'm going to call it now. <laughs> uh, last one, Battle of Missouri, as Kansas State travels to Missouri to take on um, – the hell is Missouri's nickname? Tigers. They're another Tigers. Yeah. So it's a one-point line in favor of Kansas State. Wait, you got? are we sure that this game is this week, Doug? Did I did I get the wrong week? I don't think that this game is this week. Kansas okay, State's scratch playing. it. Take it off the list. Okay. Kansas State's playing Troy. Okay. Well, never mind. Take this one off the list. They do, no we'll game. do Kansas-Illinois instead, though. Kansas is a three-point favorite. All right. Kansas, who you like? It's this is kind of like the tech thing where it's like Illinois just did not play well last week. They didn't show up and they just didn't look ready to go. But I, I think their well coached football team. I like Brett Bielema. I, I thought that the offense would be a little bit improved with Luke Altmyer at the helm throwing the ball. I'm gonna roll with Kansas though. I think that they're extremely well coached, um, and I really like that. I like their run game, um, especially now that Jalen uh, is it Jalen Daniels. There's so many different types. Yeah, Jalen Daniels, yes. Yeah. Not Jaden Daniels. Yeah. So um I'm I'm gonna roll with Kansas minus three. All right. I respect that. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Illinois. I think week week two is always one of the hardest ones because you have all the week one overreaction stuff. You have those teams that opened poorly and then all of a sudden, you know, have the big week one to week two jump or just, just look like themselves in week two. So it's always the hardest week for me to to get a beat on, but I'm going to roll with Illinois. I think they're going to, they're going to bring this one back yeah, after like, a very disappointing performance last week. I only am betting the teams that I feel like I know pretty well right now. And like, these are not teams. I feel like I know really well. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, like I know, I know, I know about them, but like when you only have a one week sample size to go off of, it's like, it's tough. Like there's so like when there's so many times where you look at week one, you look at the box scores and you go back and you look at the season at the end of the day. And it's like, what the hell? Well, don't worry, QB. Once we get to week four and we get into, you know, and our Pac-12 games go from 11 or 10 or 11 games to pick down to, to four to five games to pick each week, uh, we're going to add we're gonna add some more like Big Ten action in here. We'll get some more some more stuff of teams that we know a little bit more about. Cause I would love to like as we progress time. through the season, because I know I'm watching a lot of Big Ten ball, like even more yes. so now um than i usually do um and so like as we get more into this year because we need to familiarize ourselves with the personnel of those teams um totally. as we make that move next year so i think that's something that we could kind of look forward to planning as we move forward yeah i definitely want to lean heavily in on, on a more big t- i mean they're in this early like first three weeks of the season i'm just looking for like four or five games that are compelling matchups instead of like picking 30 point, you know, underdogs and stuff like that. So, but as we get toward the conference season, there's definitely gonna be a lot more big 10 games. On maybe this we list. just do uh, something to consider. Cause like we'll do the big national games, obviously, but maybe we do like a couple more big 10 games than we typically would. Totally. That's what I'm saying. We're on the okay. same page. Yep. I even kicked around doing the idea of, of doing big 10 power rankings, or at least maybe the top six or something, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to go there yet. Yeah, we 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 talk about it. We'll talk offline. All right. Uh, by the way, my fantasy draft is wrapping up. I've I skipped past several picks. Um, I got Anthony Richardson as my backup quarterback. 
Oh boy. Michael Thomas in a late round wide receiver. Um, and then I got New Orleans on defense, Cam Akers, another running back I picked up. And then I'm uh, seeing Cole that. Komet. Cole Komet is my tight end. And so I'm just down to my kicker next. So my kicker will be my last pick here, and then we're done. Nice. You got a big hot kicker uh, advice for me? <laughs> no. Um, no. Don't take the Packers' new kicker because it's not looking great. Okay, good advice. I will not take anyone from Green Bay. They've either already been picked or they're so far down the board they're not even on the screen. Oh, there they are, way down there. Yeah, just don't. Don't take him. Okay, I think I'm looking at this guy right now. Yeah, he's good. Take uh, him. Okay, hey, so... Hey, Doug, you know what? I think this is a great opportunity to send it over to a commercial real quick. Let's do it. Thanks, QB. We're back from commercial break. <laughs> and uh, we will uh, get on to our Pac-10 picks. We've got 10 games this week. Oregon State is playing UC Davis. Pac-2, Doug. Line. Pac-2. Pac-2. Yeah, the two-pack. Two-pack. Um, For the first time ever, Oregon State is first in the Pacific Conference recruiting rankings. Recruiting rankings. Yeah, they are. They are, they are number one, and Washington State's number two. So kudos, Quite Beavers. You, you did it. 10 games to pick in the Pac-10 this week. Oregon State has no line against UC Davis, so we won't pick a winner there. We already picked our Oregon. We both picked Oregon to uh, cover the 6.5 against Texas Tech. So Utah at Baylor. This is one where I would have been heavy on Baylor before last week, and now I'm not. I'm heavy on Utah. Even as a six-point road favorite, I'm taking Utah. And this one's really interesting because Blake Shapen, the Baylor quarterback, has ruled out for this game. It sounds from all the reports coming out of out of uh, Waco, and their backup quarterback plan kind of hinged on Austin Novosad, and so they're kind of in a tough spot right now. Um, they didn't take a quarterback to class before because of Novosad's commitment, uh, and so I think Baylor is going to be in really rough shape at quarterback. And we've seen this. I've seen this line a lot higher than six at some, some places. So uh, I'm taking Utah with minus the six all day. Yeah. With the current, with the current shape of the Baylor team. Here's another game that I, my opinion has been changed by week one. Uh, Colorado is a three point home favorite against Nebraska. I would have pounded this in favor of Nebraska before I saw last week's, uh, you know, game action. I just, Colorado's going to score. I don't, know if Nebraska can score enough. So I'm going Colorado here to cover the three. Yeah, did you see their TV ratings last week? No, tell me. In the big noon window? It was like 7.2 million. I mean, that's not surprising. No, Dion, prime time. I'm taking Colorado minus a three. I, I toyed with the idea of taking Nebraska. Um, this number is ticked over to three and a half, four at times, and I wouldn't touch it there. But at three points, I got to take Colorado. Nebraska offensively, like I don't, Jeff Sims is, is a turnover machine. Um, I don't trust them offensively to do really anything consistently, whereas Colorado can throw the ball. Um, and I think that Colorado is going to be able to score some points in this game. So I'm taking Colorado minus three. And what should be All an right, absolutely insane home environment in Boulder? Oh, my God. It's going to be another great uh, TV rating game as well with those two schools so kind of renewing what used to be a pretty pretty decent rivalry back in the Big 12, Big 8 days. But um, I'm with you. Colorado's going to win that one. It's going to be a great, a great environment. About a turnaround. Like, you couldn't get five people to watch a Colorado game last year. <laughs> the power of prime. 
Wisconsin travels to the Palouse to take on the Cougars at Washington State uh, after losing at home last year. And what was really the result of that game did not match the uh, the game flow at all. Uh, I think Wisconsin is going to be wanting revenge. Washington State was surprisingly much better than I expected last week. Uh, my my preseason prediction on them is going to clearly be way, way, way off the mark. Um, however, I don't know. I like Wisconsin in this one. Even with four-point road favorite, I, there's a lot of road favorites on our slate this week, and I'm picking another one to to cover the four, so I'm with Wisconsin. Yeah, I. Uh, this is a game where if I was a more casual observer of Wisconsin and I just watched them against Buffalo or watched the condensed highlights, I'd be like, uh, Washington State should cover the four. Um, but I know this Wisconsin roster pretty well. It's a much more talented team than, than Washington State has. I think they're going to be pretty dominant in the trenches against Washington State. I think the offensive line is pretty improved. Uh, and I think that the quarterback play from week one to week two will get better for Wisconsin. So with all that said, I'm, I'm taking Wisconsin minus the four on the Palouse. All right, you're going first on this one. Oklahoma State, another road favorite, three and a half points, traveling to take on Kenny Dillingham and the Sun Devils of Arizona State. Down there these in the neck of the woods. These are two horrible football teams with really good coaches. Um, and it makes it really hard. If this was it still a three, I would consider taking Oklahoma State. But I'm going to rock with, with Kenny Dillingham here. I think that they're going to make some things happen offensively. They have they have the pieces to be explosive on the outside, and even though he's a true freshman, I'm taking Jaden Rashada all day in this quarterback matchup. Yeah, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State here, but I, Arizona State just man, I, I thought early. Maybe I'm over revving on on week one as well. I, I just was really disappointed in their lackluster performance against Southern Utah, and uh, so I'm going to go with going to go with the Cowboys, Pokes, whatever they call themselves. Yeah. I don't know. Next one's really easy. It's Tulsa going on the road to Washington. Washington's a 34-point 34, 34 favorite at home. Uh, Washington will win this game by closer to 40. They're going to bomb it on them. They're going to bomb it on all the bad teams on the schedule. The, the talent at receiver for Washington is such that, and, and Michael Penix and his command of the offense, just how well put together that offense is, um, they're going to destroy teams like Tulsa. Yeah, it's just overmatched. So I'm yeah, with you. You double cover the 34. Yeah. Uh, Arizona at Mississippi State, who is a nine point favorite. I'm going with the home team. The Bulldogs will cover the nine. I'm going to hate myself for this. I'm counting on Jane Delora, uh, but I'm going to take Arizona to cover the nine. Okay. I, I considered that. So I don't think it's crazy. Well, it's although I'm not crazy, the best judge. But. <laughs> Uh, UCLA goes on the road, not very far, just down the down the I five a little bit to San Diego to take on the San Diego State. Why am I blanking on everybody's names? Aztecs, yeah, the Aztecs. Thank you very much. So UCLA was a fourteen and a half point favorite last week, won by fourteen. They are a fourteen and a half point favorite this week. Uh, I have them covering, however, this time. I think they're going to hopefully play the right quarterback for much. Yeah, more I was going to say game. if I knew they were going to play Dante Moore. I would hammer this, but I don't. And so I'm sure it'll be mixed quarterbacks, which means that it'll stunt the productivity of the UCLA offense. However, un- shockingly enough, this is going to surprise a lot of people. San Diego State is putrid offensively. So with Brady Hoke at the helm. So I'm going to go ahead and take UCLA to cover the 14 and a half as well. And I think Dante yeah, I Moore that. shows out in this game and they bomb it on him. Yeah, uh, Chip said he, all three quarterbacks are going to play this week. So we'll see how oh, that Lord. works out. But uh, Chip, hopefully... Dude. Can we maybe after this game he can just like be like okay now I'm gonna start Dante like come on you know what you need to do Chip come on I don't know 
what information the Garber's family has on Chip, but they need to release that man from the prison he's in. <laughs> Auburn, another road favorite, six and a half, traveling to the surprisingly potent California Bears. Yeah, uh, I think that had a lot to do with the opponent. I'm not buying it. I think that they're going to be better offensively. I think Jake Spavadol is a scheme upgrade for them, but I think that Auburn, despite... um. Auburn, despite turning over a lot of the roster, being in year one with a new coach is gonna is gonna beat the crap out of Cal. Uh, they did a they did a fantastic job on the offensive line in the transfer portal, which is really hard to do uh, to turn over an offensive line. But Auburn did. They also got some really good players in the interior, the defensive line out of the porter uh, portal. Uh, Justin Rogers uh, is is one of the players I think that Oregon fans will be familiar with because we were in a top group of his at one point. I watched his film. He was a Kentucky transfer, really talented player. Uh, Jarquez um, Hunter, the running back for for Auburn, is one of the best backs in the SEC. Uh, Peyton Thorne is an accurate passer for the most part, and they've got the the change up with Robbie Ashford. I, I think that Auburn owns the lines of scrimmage on this in this game and wins by multiple scores. Yeah, I'm rolling with Hugh Freeze and Auburn as well, so I got them winning by more than the six and a half as well. Probably. I also think this is a massive coach advantage for Auburn, big time. Uh, finally, the Pac-12, um, the final swan song of the Pac-12, their first conference game of the year, as it is every year, Stanford and USC. It's at the Coliseum. 29 points. Too many. I'm taking Stanford. I'm with you. I think, uh, USC will win. They will win handily, but I think there's enough question marks around their defense still and their offensive line and Stanford will... At least attempt to score with them. So I think it'll this be was at like thirty to at least and a get half. a backdoor cover or something. Yeah, this was at like thirty and a half a couple of days ago. It's been bet all the way down to twenty nine. I, I, I think USC could cover this if they really, really wanted to. But I think Stanford will put up a good fight, and I think there will be a little bit of a mercy killing at the end of this game. Yeah, if it was like twenty seven and a half, it was inside four touchdowns. I'd probably lean the other way, but outside four, I, I consider. It. But that's still a lot for a Pac twelve. It is game. a lot for a game. Yeah, I don't think Stanford's good. good, but they impressed me enough last week to where I think this is a little disrespectful. Well, they actually have a coaching staff who's going to try. So yeah, like right, like that. I, I mean, they, they haven't had that in years. Yes, and I think that that right there is enough. And I think that I even myself, and I, I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. Like I might have underrated some of the talent on this team just based on the fact that the last coaching staff was just completely like asleep at the wheel. Totally. QB, you got time for a few questions, a few listener questions before yeah, we call it a night? Yeah, let's a couple. All right. Aaron Newman says, in the PSU game, uh, Portland State ran the ball in the first quarter. Doorless sat out the first quarter. In your opinion, did PSO's, PSU's struggles have more to do with our defense settling in, or was Doorless the tipping point? Um, okay. I don't think Doorless is the tipping point. Uh, I'm not going to call anybody out, but there was a specific edge player that was in on that drive that did not play a lot the rest of the game, at least in the, mean- the earlier meaningful time, um, who was very, very, very poor. And it's not a player that I even anticipated being on the roster this year. So there's your hint. Um, and I'm not trying to put it all on one player. There was some. T- there was a play where Taishim lost um, gap integrity. There was. I mean, there were just some mistakes made on that drive, right? And I think as we settled in, we corrected those issues, and they got basically nothing the rest of the game. And so, with that in mind, I don't think it was Doralis. Dor- having Doralis on the field is much better than not having him on the field. 
Um, but there was also some times where like Popo was so good that he over penetrated because it was there wasn't enough resistance and then he put himself out of position. So uh, and that can be true for a couple guys on the team. So I, I think that that was more just a it's early. It's an early season, early in the game situation. You're going against an athletic quarterback. Uh, people lose some gap integrity and there's some some bigger plays. Yeah, I mean, the coaches talk about missed assignments, right? There was some missed assignments on that drive, and then you didn't see them the rest of the game. So that's what you want to see. They yeah. cleaned it up. They they corrected the issues. Uh, Apollo, no question. I just wanted to say thank you guys for the show. Hearing you guys talk not only on the pod, but in spaces really has changed the way I watch football games. I used to just focus on the ball mainly, but now it makes watching way more enjoyable. Go Ducks. Hey, thanks, Aww. Apollo. That's a great thing to say about me. That's really nice. And, and QB2. Yeah, that's really nice to say about Doug. We pre- he appreciates you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's great. Thanks, Apollo. All right, Chad Medeiros asks, um, well, I think we covered this one. How much does the hot weather help tech? I, I don't think we, either one of us thinks it'll be much of a factor. Second I think question, the home environment is the is the bigger factor, right? Much like, bigger, much bigger, yeah. So, Second question, why would a team let Travis Hunter play over 100 snaps? Why not just send whoever he covers deep on every play and wear him out? And TCU did didn't run enough run the ball enough in the first half. I got Nebraska with a better game plan and winning this week. I mean, um, if he can if he can play at a high level, a hundred snaps, then he's better than the alternative you would have in that position. So, well, I mean, yeah, the why. drop off from Travis Hunter to the next guy on either side of the ball is way way big for for, for Colorado. I think ultimately they're gonna have to pick and choose their spots with him more as the season goes on, like. Playing him 120 snaps a game is not sustainable, in my opinion. Um, yeah, like Colorado State, like come on, like you got to give him give him off on one side of the ball or or a lot of snaps or something in that game. Yeah, so I do think that Nebraska will have a better plan. Um, I think they're going to be really well coached. They're a well coached team, uh, but I think TCU is kind of a lot more talented than Nebraska, and I don't think that like the Nebraska quarterback situation is any better. And I'm not a big Chandler Morris guy, so. Uh, we'll, we'll find out, but. All right. Brandon Betts asks, do you think Oregon will attack pass happy offensive systems this year? The way, like the way they did against Arizona last year, don't need to respect the run with a few of the teams on the schedule. I think we've talked about that, but go ahead. Yeah, I think so. I think again, the, the key difference being like putting your personnel that can cover out there, which means probably playing three corners instead of three safeties and your nickel stuff. Being not being scared to go dime, and really trusting your your front to to win in the run game, um, even in even numbered or outnumbered situations, and I think that our physicality is going to be at a place this year where we can do that against most teams. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Uh, a few more a few more questions here. Uh, Ryan Hodges asks, what are some team defense statistics you want to see that without seeing the final score would make you confident in an Oregon win? Uh, under three yards a carry would make me feel pretty good, uh, from the run game. Uh, I'm not a big statistics guy, but in the past game, um, I think, I think if we can create two turnovers, I think two, like either a fumble interception or two interceptions would, would make me feel like, yeah, we took care of business. Yeah. I think you, I was going to say turnovers. I'll add sacks, you know, give us a, a sack and a half or two and a half or, or more. And I feel if you, I would if like you if, that, if this team is really yeah. going to take the jump that we hope it takes. I really think it needs to be more than two and a half or three, but we'll see what happens. Again, it's all we'll about start situations. There. 
and opportunities, yeah. right? Because teams are going to want to keep their quarterback upright in one piece, and they're going to try to slow down our rush, and we'll see we'll see what they do schematically. All right, two more questions. Desert Duck ninety nine says, "Who's the biggest threat on TT's defense, Texas Tech's defense?" And do you have a prediction on the turnover margin for the game? So. Oh, well, I would have said Rodriguez, the um, linebacker who's not playing. The linebacker who's not playing. Um, hold on one second here. I don't remember the name. I know his number. It's number ninety five. He's a defensive tackle. Um, here it is. He, his name is Jalen Hutchings. Uh, I think he's their best player in the front. And what was the second half of that question? Also, Desert Duck, I know you reached out to me. I will hit you back. I'm sorry. I was you. You messaged me. It was it was very nice. Um, we will definitely get together at some point. Second half of the question was prediction on turnover margin. I'd like to see at least a plus one, right? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think plus two is what I'd predict, though. I like the sound of that. All right, one more question. This comes from Brian Abbey. Besides Bo Nix, what three players would you encase in bubble wrap to make sure they stay healthy all season long? Josh Connerly would be my second yep. one. Yep, I'd add him. Um, probably. Troy? Go ahead. I was going to say Troy, but we might need more defensive guys. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I would either go I'd either go Bo I'd go Bo Troy and Connerly, or I would go Bo Connerly and maybe Evan Williams. Because I, yeah, I think I, him and Justin Jacobs are both really impactful players, and we didn't have them last week, which is actually I think says a lot about our performance defensively. Again, I know it's an FCS team, but you held them to fifty basically fifty yards in the second half. Um, and I think that Justin Jacobs and Evan Williams are two of our five best players on defense. They're difference makers. They're yeah. Jordan Birch might be one of them. I don't know. Again, I think offensively, like this is an offense. This team is going to be like driven by the offense. And so I think that if you can keep your best receiver, your best tackle and your quarterback upright all year, that would be ideal. Absolutely. Um, I might add Taishim. I thought his game was really good. I think he's a key a key player for the defense as well. I might add him in there as well as a guy I'd like to see bubble wrapped. But I, I think, you know, just kind of talking a little bit about the two guys who didn't play, Evan and and Justin. Um be nice. I feel pretty confident in saying we'll see one of them this week. It'd be nice to see both. Uh I don't know. I feel like Evan Williams is probably gonna play Justin Jacobs. Maybe more of a 50-50 situation there. But, you know, getting both of them back for Colorado would be incredible. Yeah. All right, QB. Um, the only other thing I wanted to add is a couple of shout-outs. Uh, first of all, to uh, Shelby, the Jello Shot Queen. She's always uh, keeping Jello Shots at the, the tailgate before, before the games. So she brought down, I think we had Blue Raspberry, we had uh, pina colada, and the third one she had was like a pudding shot. This you really need to try this. It was chocolate peanut. It's like a Reese's peanut butter pudding shot. It was quite tasty. So I'm sure it tasted fantastic, but it sounds like a lot of sugar. <laughs> it probably was. I only had one of those. God, I love Shelby. I did. I, I did I have a few. Yeah. I can't wait to come for the Colorado game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll we'll be tailgating. We'll cook you up some good food, and then the other one, um, Hayward Hawk. Thank you so much. He he had me down on Friday afternoon to kind of give me a tour of Hayward Field, uh, walked around the facility there, got a chat with him quite a bit about 
just about the track program and that facility and kind of all the, it, it's very similar. If you've ever had the opportunity to, you know, go through the HD, HDC football facility and kind of see all of the, all the tiny details and all of the, the really neat Oregon centric uh, touches that are put into that facility. Hayward is no, no different, right? It, it's an incredible, incredibly cool facility under underground practice you can pole vault underground at that stadium. You can uh, throw hammer, disc, a shot put underground. You can long jump. You can triple jump. It's you can you know sprint and run obviously too. It's it's a it's an incredible facility. They've got tons of uh, cool like training, training and recovery uh, you know things for the athletes there, and and uh, it's just really neat. If you get a chance to take that tour, QB, and I think he extended the invite to you as well. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm planning to take him up but, on it. Um... Um, yeah, but it was it was really nice meeting him, and and I just want to thank him for that opportunity. Yeah, like I'm like I I know that like I keep my identity somewhat like anonymous on here, and it's pretty casual. But I I'm really looking forward to meeting to a lot of you guys, and um, I appreciate when you guys reach out to me. I know I'm not the best at always responding. It's I work in a field where uh, my phone is blowing up constantly, and so sometimes my personal stuff or this stuff specifically ends up taking a backseat or getting missed or um, seen and acknowledged, but not responded to. And I, I apologize for that, but just, just know that I really do appreciate it. And Hayward Hawk, I look forward to to getting a, getting the tour of Hayward field and getting to see that for the first time in person. And um, I know that there's a lot of other people uh, that are, that are supporters of the show. I don't, I wouldn't call them even fans, right? Like I think that we have like a great community of people around the show and um, I look forward to meeting as many of you guys as I possibly can. And uh, hopefully uh, throughout the season, we'll get the opportunity to do that. All right. Well said. And with that, we are uh, we're out for this one. We'll be back on a Monday morning with our kind of full recap of the game and of the week and obviously big, big game for Oregon and their goals for the season this weekend down at Texas Tech. And I don't know if any of you were able to listen to I kind of did an instant reaction, maybe 15 minute episode right after the game on Saturday. I intend to do that again. And QB, if you want, you can join me if you're available. Uh, so hopefully people receive that well if not we don't have to do it but i thought it was a little fun to kind of jump on there and just kind of give some instant analysis as well so thanks for yeah, listening and uh, be on the lookout i'm supposed to be going on the ramblin raiders uh podcast tomorrow morning um to do just like a short like 20 30 minute preview of oregon so uh keep an eye out for that i'll make sure i retweet it when it comes up oh awesome can't wait to watch i know i've been lucky enough to, to hit on a couple of other podcasts and i'm excited to hear that you are too so i'll be definitely listening